record. All right. Just talk. Just talk. Tell me your name okay, and what you're well, dealing with. My name is Alana. And um, between me and my children, we all have uh, chronic illnesses that we are managing. Um, I myself have a genetic condition called neurofibromatosis, which is um, a condition whereby small tumors grow along nerve, nerve pathways throughout the body. And sometimes they are benign and sometimes they are not. Um, and sometimes they are benign, but in very inconvenient places, uh, which is my case. So um, I have something called an optic glioma, which is common in NF patients. And um, it's right at the end of my optic nerve, um, which means that I am blind in my right eye. And um, clinically speaking, have a little bit of blindness in my left eye as well. Um, but I can function very well with respect to my vision because um, my brain has adapted to using shadows and light in order to create depth perception. Wow, um, the brain is amazing. It, is. it sure is. Um, and so the only thing I can't do is parallel park at night. <laughs> okay, I can't either. <laughs> I can't parallel park in the day. Because there's be no fair. light to tell me where I am. So without light shining on something, there's no depth perception of it. Um, yes, but like in a situation like this, there's enough light, you know, the brain just does the calculus. And the situation and like I this is in my dining tell. room with my very bad lighting. <laughs> um, it's not bad though, cause it's here. And so like, I can see that the, this light is bouncing off that table Okay. and that light is there and that light is there. And all these things are telling my brain information and I can't tell you what it is. But I can tell you that I haven't walked into anything here. <laughs> I usually um, go by ouch for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, that means that it's working. So um, your brain is almost forcing you to be an artist by saying light and shadow and everything. Yes. I used to be a lighting designer, actually. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I'm so, that is so cool. <laughs> aware of it. So, for example, I can tell you that I like winter light better than summer light because it's always at a, a lovely angle that makes everything look different than it does in the summer. Um, and so I'm very aware of light. Um, and so this is kind of a, a progressive condition, and it tends to progress at times of hormonal change. So early childhood, puberty, pregnancy, and menopause. No fair. Um, <laughs> I'm going to call no fair yeah. on that. <laughs> um, and so I definitely um, did, I did pretty well with uh, childhood and um, puberty during pregnancy. I did have a marked increase in the bumps that I have on my body. So um, in the right light, you can tell that there's bumps across my chest and um, I had some new growth around my breasts as my body was preparing to breastfeed and um, and whatnot. Okay, so this doesn't just choose one, one nerve to pick on. It can just Any anywhere. nerve pathway in the body at any time. How do you make sure that they're benign? Is there, do you um, just have so to go in constantly for scans? or you? So depending on the stability, you scan between every one and five years. Okay. So um, I had some new symptoms, which I'll talk about in a minute. So I had a scan last week, um, and then my last one before that was three years ago. And then you're also looking for um, rapid changes. Okay. Because that's kind of an indication. And scan is MRI? MRI. Okay. Brain MRI, yeah. Um, and then, um, I heard that my MRI showed nothing new, um, which leads us to conclude that the doctor's initial diagnosis of my new problems is correct. So I was just diagnosed with something called essential tremor, 
um, which is um, it can look at the beginning, you know, a little bit like Parkinson's, but luckily it's not. Um, but I'm, I'm having a problem of constant shaking in my limbs and extremities. And so right now it's very hard for me to type mouse, write, anything fine motor related is becoming increasingly difficult. Um, and I'm very frustrated and, um, there are meds. That's a kind way to <laughs> phrase that. Um, so we're working on, um, meds right now that hopefully will get this under control. Um, cause I can't really live my life without fine motor skills. I mean, it would be completely debilitating if it gets worse or if it can't be controlled. Um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned cause it also is described as degenerative and um, one of the main issues that makes it worse is stress and due to Oh, which you have none children. in your life. Yes, none. Children, um, who I'll talk about in a little bit, um, stress in my life is, is just uncontrollable. And, you know, when I work on breathing and meditation and taking time for myself, but at the end of the day, when your kids are really sick, that's stressful. And it's foolish to say that that kind of stress can be mind over matter because... <laughs> We have a million years of evolution to make that, to make us stress uh -huh. in those situations. Um, yeah, their stress does serve a purpose, yes. like almost a superpower pur purpose of heightening and mm -hmm. helping you handle and cope with things. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've pretty much mastered fear. Um, well done. <laughs> because most of the things that I was afraid of as a younger person, I've survived, which is... Um, both a blessing and kind of horrible all at the same time. <laughs> that's really a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, I know it's horrible also. Yeah. The stuff you've had to face up. Yeah. Like, talk about, like, the night against the dragon, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, there is something to, like, standing up and living your fear and realizing that doesn't end up comp conquering you. Yeah, it does. It definitely doesn't conquer, and sometimes it's as bad as you thought it would be. <laughs> but either way, it is. And yeah. so... Um, Fear, I can manage, but stress when you're in the moment, I, I think that that's biologically ingrained, and, and I think it, it's a lot of disservice, you know, when we're telling doctors, oh, you know, just breathe through it, use meditation, I, that works for regular so, life. Yeah, maybe, that maybe. That doesn't work for, you know, living in a war zone, which... But it also puts all the onus on you. Yeah. Like, you're not doing sickness right. Yeah. Like, that's what pisses me off every time I hear, like, oh, but you should just, you know, meditate more. It's like, well, yeah. that's great. If that works for you, mazel tov, blessed be, mm -hmm. fantastic, cheers, whatever works. But to say that's going to be for everyone and not just stress someone out more because they're not meditating correctly... Right. ...could cause more problems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to be aware of that. Um... But, but that's pretty much my story. And then um, my daughter is on the autism spectrum. She has what historically would have been called Asperger's. And, um, is it not called? I'm, I'm not up on all the terminology. So in the, D, in the new DSM, which this was, it maybe it was a good thing in order to give more people access to ABA, which mm -hmm. is um, a, you know, a, it's, it's really the only method as far as I understand that's proven scientifically to have efficacy. Um, and so because of the insurance markets being what they are, which could be a whole other conversation. Oh God. Yeah. We, we do a lot of yelling <laughs> about, um, insurance and, uh, the new administration. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, there's much of that on this podcast. <laughs> um, but it, it basically by creating an umbrella term for all of these behavioral patterns, it means that more children have access to this therapy, which especially okay. in early childhood can have huge impacts 
on their long-term outcomes. For girls, from what I understand, autism symptoms are different in girls generally. It's, It's true, and that makes it harder to diagnose. And so my daughter was not diagnosed until she was about four, um, despite retrospectively speaking, showing signs from the day of her birth. Wow. Um, and you know, her, in terms of her milestones, she was late on everything, but within one standard deviation. And when she did it, she did it perfectly. Oh, Um, and, and this, this gets into another aspect of her, um, personhood, which she, which is that she is profoundly gifted, um, or a genius, which is not a term I particularly like. Um, because it makes it sound like it's a good thing, which it is not. <laughs> um, but at her last IQ test, they predicted that her IQ is at least 145. Wow. But because she wasn't reading yet, um, there was no way to push out farther. Okay. Um, but she um, she's not a savant, um, and she's not a prodigy, so it's not like she has a secret talent. Um, okay. And a lot of people conv- kind of conflate the word genius with prodigy and savant. Um, you know, what it basically means is her reasoning skills are exceptional. Um, her verbal skills, when she chooses to use them, are exceptional. Um, her understanding of the human condition is exceptional. So I call her my little Socrates. Oh. Because uh, she sometimes comes at me with, with questions that are so big and so deep that I don't... Um, I haven't answered them myself <laughs> and I'm pushing 40 and here is a, you know, six year old grappling with the questions of humanity that philosophers have been working on for all. Okay. Now how is this time. for her in a first grade classroom where she's pondering the so universe? It's, it's not, it's not working. Um, we, we've changed schools every year. Um, and we'll be changing again. <laughs> oh God. Um, hopefully we have the right fit right now. Um, but you know, regular academics, She's not a savant, but it's very easy for her. So biologically, she's in first grade, but she's working at a solid third grade level right now. Okay. Um, and the public school setting is just not able to accommodate that. No. You know, <laughs> other than offering to provide her with an online education, which I could do at home. Um, and and so we're we're going to be beginning discussions with the school district about you know, what is their responsibility to, to help us financially in this situation? There was a Supreme Court decision earlier this year that um, does indicate that the Supreme Court believes that there is some financial responsibility. And so we're going to be exploring that for her, um, assuming we get an acceptance letter from the school that we want her to go to. Um, so this this kind of combination is sometimes referred to as 2E or twice exceptional and so this, this refers to a child who is more than two standard deviations from the average in both directions. Okay. So she um, is, you know, again, very high IQ, which gives her the ability to think about some very complex ideas and see connections between things that most adults couldn't see connections between. But she is on the spectrum. Her social behaviors are very challenged. She doesn't really have friends. Um there are daily living skills that, you know, most four-year-olds have that she doesn't have yet. Um, and so it's very, very complicated to figure out how to parent a child of this nature because you have to let a lot of things go because she's just too smart. She's too mm-hmm. smart for discipline. She doesn't, she doesn't care. You can take away everything. And she doesn't care. <laughs> and she'll have to sit she, alone and she, contemplate the universe. she still has her mind, yeah. which is her greatest gift. And so... Um, 
to, to teach intrinsic motivation in someone whose biology means that they fundamentally have no intrinsic motivation is very difficult. I, I almost actually understood intrinsic motivation. I think I've got it now. Um, but it's interesting because that's something that most people are trying to, with flashcards in utero and all of the baby Mozarts are trying to make geniuses, and I don't think they understand what what that would actually look like. Yeah, I mean, it's, first of all, that stuff doesn't work. No, I mean, no, you know, but it made people a lot of money. Yes, certain people got very wealthy on Baby Mozart. And yes, and like it, it, it helps to play Mozart softly in the background while a child is trying to concentrate because mm-hmm. it helps organize the brain. But in in terms of neural development, I haven't seen any compelling research. No, there's, there's behind none. you know talking and singing to your baby does mm-hmm. it helps with you know imprinting and, and all of that. But you can sing rock and roll. And it, it oh, we did same. Tori Amos, Janis Joplin, and Leonard Cohen to, mm. to the kids. Um, yeah, it works. And all British comedy. So nice. my, my poor son's teachers had to deal with the Red Dwarf references and nice. Blackadder. <laughs> and now Doctor Who. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Never-ending supply of people playing so Doctor Who. We haven't even gotten to your son yet, but I just want to make yeah. sure I'm, I'm shuffling this through my brain because I'm... Uh, not good with holding things in my head. Yeah, but NFS, correct? The neuro neurofibromatosis uh-huh. is and me. Legally blind and well, half blind, half blind. Yeah, sorry. And then um, neuro- essential tremor for me. And then um, I also um, will reveal that I am bipolar. Okay. Um, that was a recent diagnosis. It was actually initially floated about ten years ago. Um, by a neurologist who was screening me for something else and looked at my papers and, you know, feared that I was in crisis and sent me to a psychiatrist who at the time diagnosed PTSD, mm-hmm. um, and which is also true. Um, yeah. but, um, recently in a new screening, it came up again with 10 more years of data. Um, I, I have no question that that is the correct diagnosis. And, and so I'm kind of Working through that and, and trying to understand and accept the um, things that have happened in my life that were a result of not understanding, um, especially what my periods of mania were and, and what being manic actually is yeah. versus what it is perceived to be in the media and whatnot. Oh, God. And oh, that should be illegal. They should have to. If you're going to like show a disorder, you should have to have a series of experts go through the script first. Like, yeah. You should not be able to present a group of people in one way that you've done no research on. Like, Yeah. It and really so now, damages. Now it's, it's fine, but I think that part of the reason why it took so long is I was like, well, I never tried to fly. I never like, <laughs> had delusions of grandeur. Yeah. I never... but. As I look at what it actually clinically means, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been dealing with cycles of that since I was 10. Thank you so Um, much for talking about this, because I feel like so many of us are dealing with mental health issues and are so scared to talk about any of it. There's such a stigma still around it. Like if you're physically ill, people can kind of hang with that. But when you talk mental, there's just this like iron curtain around it. There is. And and it's interesting because this kind of leads into some other issues with my daughter. She has ADHD. She has a clinical depression and anxiety, and um, and this is a six-year-old we're talking about, uh, almost seven, almost seven-year-old but, has um, clinical depression, and yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because when we finally got her ADHD and anxiety under control, mm-hmm. what was left was the depression, and that was one of the oh, hardest yeah. things to see because she was just so sad, um, you know. To to hear a tidbit of suicidal ideation from your seven-year-old is. Uh, is horrible and it's funny because I, I took her to the 
to urgent care the next day and um they were basically like what do you want me to do and i was like <laughs> well i want you to tell me if you think i should 5150 her that's what i want you to do and the doctor says well i don't know take her to the er and i'm kind of like what that, that that's the whole point of having a pediatrician to talk to yes to help someone help guide once you do that that's a line that you can't uncross no and so what I ended up doing is taking her to the specialist for her underlying condition. We're just going to back up for one second because I don't know if all of our listeners would know what 5150 is. Um, so it's, it's basically um, if, if a person is um, showing that they are in imminent harm to themselves or to others, then um, a, a doctor, a uh, police officer, um, a, you know, anyone who kind of would be thought of as a designated reporter mm-hmm. um, can say that this person needs to be put on a 72 hour hold in a psychological setting mm-hmm. uh, for evaluation. And oftentimes uh, they are released before 72 hours without adjustments to meds. It's a very inefficient system. Yes. And as a parent, you have no control once that and 5150 you have no is called. Controlled. In fact, you are forcibly separated from your child in mm-hmm. most cases. Um, and they can be given medication you and, should not approve. Or yeah. And, and okay. you have the, it totally changes the consent process and it's, it's nothing that I would do unless um, I knew that that yeah. language was serious, but I had no way of knowing. I just wanted people on the, the podcast to understand that once that 5150 is called, you as a parent don't get to say anything anymore. And that's, Right. They're yeah. basically a ward of the state yeah. for the next 72 hours. <laughs> um, and yeah. so it's it's something that, that sometimes needs to be done, um, but it's not something that you do lightly. Um, and, and so what I ended up doing in this case was taking her to the specialist for, for the underlying condition that was flaring up and, um, thank God, you know, we went to UCSF and I said, she needs to have an appointment today. I know that we don't have an appointment, yep. but, um, she needs one. This is an emergency. And, uh, they did get us in and spent about two hours wow. talking with us and figuring out some immediate strategies that we could use to ease her suffering. And they made some referrals for physical therapy and other things, um, that they felt would help overall. And that got us through that period. And, um, we immediately started her on Prozac, um, and she's been doing much, much better. Oh, good. Um, but what we are But seeing, you are coordinating, all, and we haven't even gotten to your son yet. Yeah, we yeah, used to, no, hold on, listeners. <laughs> we still got more. Um, I'm a full-time social worker with no training in social work and, and also a doctor and a lawyer. Being very, very sick yourself and having to deal with surgeries and, and constant scans. So you're, I mean, just coordinating care to me is almost a full-time job. Just, it is, in fact, a full-time job. I, you know, work... 35 to 40 hours a week coordinating care between myself and my children. And, um, because you're, they're not just going to a pediatrician. You have to go to places like UCSF or Stanford or. Yeah. Yeah. I would say between all of us, probably 20 specialists. Yeah. That would be my estimate. And since we have listeners all over the world, when I say UCF and Stanford, I'm talking about like an hour and a half to two hour drive between things like this. Depending and on traffic. Depending on traffic. Because yeah. traffic can mean 20 minutes or it can mean two hours. Just yes. Yes. Same destination. Um, and, just and, depends. and so the kind of social systems though, they just look at the mileage. Mm-hmm. And so they don't take into account traffic. Yeah. And so they'll say, well, so-and-so clinic is 15 miles away. That's fair and reasonable according to the ACA. And then you, and that's technically true because yeah. the way that these laws are written, they need to come up with some kind of heuristic and they often use uh, measures 
that are not applicable in the Bay Area. And as much as I growled about no the ACA power. when it happened, I was like, no, it needs to go further. And I'm like, oh, but we like it. No, 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 we like it. We just wanted more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so anyway, um, you know, for Lila, we're pretty sure with her clinical team that her school environment is a major trigger. And so we have made the decision um, to try private school and hopefully financial aid will be generous because... I'm not able to work, and that means that my ex is supporting two households on one wow. salary. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute, too, because yeah. you're not just a sick mom. You're a single mom. <laughs> yes. Um, and then he does, you know, I'm not going to speak poorly of him. He does do his custody, and he does uh, participate to the extent that he is capable of. Um, but uh, two households, one income, um that does not get us very far in the Bay Area. Yeah, that's um, um, <laughs> now that we, I don't think there's any counties left where we can buy a house for under 500000 I, I don't Bay think Area. so. And, and luckily, we, um, the first thing we did when we separated was liquidate our life savings and buy another house. That was, that was smart. That was clever. Was, um, we're very financially savvy, and that is a blessing. When you're um, dealing with all these things that are tremendous, like, like any of these things without insurance would bankrupt anyone. Like yeah, one yes. of these things and not just the full treatment. I'm talking one treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And just it, going to the emergency room can cost. I, I went once for something and it ended up being almost $30,000. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, again, we could get into a whole And we have, we, we absolutely go back through our archives. Paris and I went through a, and you will hear me swear more than I think I've ever sworn yeah. in one hour before. So that was my personal but, record. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. The, so then with my daughter, the, the final thing is, is she does, her therapist said that she was concerned that Lila is manic right now, and I do see it. And having recently been diagnosed as bipolar myself and seeing her have a depression mania cycle, of course, I am i don't want to project onto her, yeah. but I'm also very concerned. Um, and so the, the kind of next step for her is watching as she transitions back into school um, after this holiday break and deciding ultimately if... I need to pull her and homeschool her for the rest of the school year, or if or if she's going to make it through the school year. Because homeschooling a child will not ease any burdens for you. This it, is it going to be it won't. that's a whole other full time job you'll be taking on. The matter on. is, is that at school what they're offering right mm-hmm. now, like I said, is you know online education, and so that's what I would do. Yeah. is just put her you know in front of Khan Academy and other apps, and um, tell her to teach herself something and. She really likes math. She taught herself multiplication one day because she was bored. Um, and, <laughs> my goodness. And so uh, that's Lila. And then um, my uh, miracle boy, Mr. Gideon, um, he also has NF. And one of the interesting things about NF is it's a uh, condition where the genotype and the phenotype are not correlated. And what that means is the actual gene, which has a mistake in it, um, you can have two people with the same mistake and have two completely different outcomes. There's no relationship whatsoever. Wow. And so you can have someone with no symptoms or, you know, only birthmarks, which is one of the symptoms. Um, and you can have someone who is uh, profoundly disabled whose uh, genome is exactly the same. And This uh, is like the chaos theory as a disorder. It is. It is. And we thought about this a lot before moving forward with having a child, we considered adoption. That's you and your ex-husband. Me and my ex. And we also considered, um, that there, there is technology at this point that exists 
where you can make a, if you know what the genetic disorder that you're looking for is, you can actually uh, make a diagnosis when the cell or when the embryo is a, not even an embryo yet, but a blastocyst, mm-hmm. which means a, uh, if you go back to your OCHEM, it <laughs> means a stable circle of eight cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can literally biopsy one cell, um, put it in a test tube and have a courier walk it onto a plane, fly to the well. one lab that does it. Um, so you take it in the morning, they arrive at the lab eight hours later and they test it overnight. First off, super cool science. Secondly, that sounds really expensive. It is really expensive. And, um, we got, uh, $5,000 into the process and, um, and I just couldn't, I yeah. couldn't do it. It, um, because it led me to the conclusion that I would not live if my, I would not be here mm-hmm. if my parents had had access to this technology and that, um, I couldn't get my head around that. Um, and, and that's your personal choice. And like, yeah, it's really important that you got know, to make that choice. I have friends who have made other choices, um, at different stages in their pregnancy and that, um, I think that they're all beautiful choices and the best choices for that individual. And, and so I do not in any way judge people who, who make different decisions under the same circumstances, but it wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. Um, and so he started having problems on his third day of life. Um, he, uh, went to sleep and wouldn't wake up. Um, you must have been just living in constant, like nail biting terror. Yeah. I mean, yeah. talk about the stress that you're supposed to be avoiding. I can't think of anything more stressful than watching your baby and just worrying Not every knowing. time they weren't waking. Yeah. Yeah. And so at first it was, uh, just failure to thrive, which I kind of put in quotes cause I know for families who have gone through that and had the eating difficulties that that in alone is, is very traumatic. And so we were, um, literally shaking him awake every three hours and, um, functionally waterboarding him to get some food into him. And then I was pumping around the clock as well. And you um, had an older child. And I had an older child. Yeah, I, I feel like this whole interview is going to be saying, and you also. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, my ex was, you know, the problems in our marriage had nothing to do with him not mm. doing his share. So, you know, he was he was doing everything he could to be supportive. And he got up, too, because yeah. it was really a two-person job. And so I would pump. He would, you know wake up getting in and do some of the feed and then I would give him what I just pumped and you know rinse repeat that was a full time Um, all hands on deck effort it absolutely is and then around the time that we were going to have a g-tube placed or not a g-tube but a nasal tube placed Mm -hmm. for the eating and quick explanation for everyone what a nasal tube is so it's it's basically um you know as as we can remember from our anatomy class, if you stick something up the hole in your nose, it eventually ends up in your mouth. By the way, I love your confidence that I ever went to an anatomy (laughs) class. Like, this is so cute. Ochem, anatomy. You are really sweet to me, but I was a literature major, so I could avoid all of the classes I was not smart enough for. Well, I, I, you know, some of this is, you know, stuff I've learned subsequently, but yeah. So if you stick something up your nose, it eventually ends up in your mouth (laughs) and then things in your mouth can eventually go down the esophagus. So for those like me, if you ever swallowed milk and laughed and went up your nose, that's because what goes through the nose yes. goes into the yes. mouth. And, and, the- and Lila once put a googly eye up her nose and I was freaking <laughs> out. And what my friend told me 
is to essentially do like CPR on, on her, the breathing part, yeah. the chest compression part. And lo and behold, it did eventually end up in her mouth and then I could pluck it out. I, you so, know, the um, things mothers will do. <laughs> yeah. The body is, is all connected. Um, so imagine that you take a thin tube, um, and, uh, you stick it up the nose and run it down and mm-hmm. then it ends up in your mouth. And then you keep going through the throat into the esophagus you feed, you feed, you feed, and eventually it ends up in your stomach. Yep. And this is to a, a one week old, a one month old. Uh, this was we started talking about this around three months. Okay, three um, month old when there was no progress to his uh, eating, and it's it's not uncommon. Yeah. Actually, um, when you're going through it, it seems like oh my god, we're but the only people who are experiencing. As I start to look around the world now, you know, I see a lot of babies yeah. with nasal tubes, and it's not. Compared to what was coming. Uh, no, but it's interesting though. I feel like we see what we're in the middle of. And yeah. We don't. So like when, before I started using a wheelchair and canes all the time, I never saw any of the problems. So like, oh, look, there's ramps everywhere. And then yeah. I used a wheelchair. I'm like, those ramps? <laughs> that is not three degrees. That is an X Games. That is not what yeah. it's supposed to be. You start yeah, seeing things when you're. Or... Yeah. It's like you fall through the rabbit hole. Like, I always feel like it's a chronic illness. Like, everyone's living in healthy world. And yeah. then all of a sudden, the rabbit hole opens up and you fall into you know, sick it's world. It's so interesting because I, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but. No, I was chicken. Everyone tells me I have to and I'm too scared. I watched one episode of Nightmares. I'm a baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Except but, for Doctor Who. I can handle the Weeping Angels, but that's about it. That's, that's where my horror stops. So, Weeping Angels. For those of you who, who watch uh, Stranger Things, yeah. um, there's, there's a uh, notion of. Um, Different dimensions. So it buys into the multiple universes, oh, multiple yeah. dimensions theory, and it deals with the fact that there is um, a kind of evil dimension mm-hmm. that is running in parallel to the main dimension. Where the <laughs> GOP, sorry, that was a cough there. That's all right. Um, and it, it's referred to as the upside down. Yeah. And um, so I feel like, and with the upside down, you're right there. You're physically there, but you're in another dimension and no one can see you. And it's hell. <laughs> and I, now that I've seen this show, you know, it, it's, it's a fun show and there's lots of things that are good about it. But I think one of the reasons it's so critically acclaimed is that there's also some meta ideas in there that are very powerful. And so I feel like I live in the upside down and sometimes I can come through the portal and be in the other place. But wow. most of my life is in the upside down. And so I'm right there. But nobody sees what I'm going through, even though they want to. And if you're too chicken to watch Stranger, Stranger Things, there's a book by Neil Gaiman called Neverwhere, which is very much like what you just said. Awesome. It's, it's that and fairy tale, but not visual. It's just as scary and just as bloody and graphic. You just don't have to watch the bloody and graphic. Yeah. Well, I close my eyes. But that's for, a great explanation. Um, but anyway, uh, so just as we were about to proceed with Gideon getting a feeding tube, uh, he started having seizures. And was soon later uh, diagnosed with something called infantile spasms, which is known in the literature as the catastrophic diagnosis. That is not a nice way to phrase that to a parent. The medical community, do better. But, you know, I actually, I think it's good because it lets you know what you're in for. Okay. And it helps you steal yourself. And um, it it helps you. So what does a catastrophic diagnosis so basically, you know, what, what it refers to is the very, very low statistics of good outcomes. Okay. Um, you know, at least five years, ago, five years ago when he was diagnosed, there was about a 25% infant mortality rate. Um, so I, I feel very lucky that yeah. he will live to see his first or his fifth birthday, which okay. um, many families do not. 
Um, and it's a kind of epilepsy that is almost impossible to control and is highly correlated with other disabilities. And, um, you know, the outcomes are really good. And, uh, so he failed a number of trials of medication and over the year, what was very lucky is that as his brain grew, it became more, it became obvious on MRI that there was a brain malformation. Okay. Um, and so he had his first brain surgery on um, November 19th, 2014. And um, it ended up being much more extensive than we anticipated. So when the doctor actually got into his brain, um, there was damage that the MRI didn't catch because it was too deep. Um, and so I believe that surgery was approximately 14 hours and the surgical tech or, or someone every couple hours would call me on the phone to say what was going on and, um, you know, let me confirm that his vitals were good and that everything was good. And, so you know, they would call you each time they, to they, let you know. Yeah, because you, you want to know. Yes, oh God, everything's yes. okay. I would so, want to be in the room watching. Yeah, <laughs> they're very good about that. And, you know, there was a point where they were saying that he was just going through a very complicated area and was, you know, functionally going millimeter by millimeter. And, um, so how long, I, I'm just thinking for a surgeon to have, especially a neurosurgeon with a smaller brain, how long was he doing that surgery for? So it was about 14 hours. Wow. Um, I mean, just the stamina that would take. Yeah. Time. And then it's funny. We asked about this cause I asked, uh, I asked him, like, <laughs> how do you pee? Yeah. That, that's a good I question. Really wanted to know. And he said that, you know, part of med school is learning to go 24 hours without peeing and, wow. and eating. But I don't, I don't think that that's true. I think <laughs> what actually happens is that they take a break and scrub out and then the resident keeps the patient stable. Okay. That um, I, I, I think that would probably be a much more and, sane. Any um, and neurosurgeons they, who want to write in the comments how this actually works, we would love to know. In, um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, come back in and that's one of the reasons why you have surgical techs and all these other people in the room yeah. who are watching just to make sure that everything's where it's supposed to be and that nobody messes up and everyone washes their hands exactly right and puts their gloves on exactly right and, um, uh, that's such an amount of, I, I don't want to use the word faith because I feel like that has too much of a, a, a religious connotation, but yeah. so much like that you have to put into it's, it's someone else's hands profound, when it's your baby. It's a profound trust. Oh, that's and a beautiful way to say that. It's one that, but, but it's one where you have no choice. Yeah. And so you kind <laughs> of, it almost is a religious experience because although I don't believe in God, what you have to do is completely, you have to just completely give up yeah. the notion that you have any control. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so I just sat. That's the hardest thing as a mom and a person is to give up all control you over your baby. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the hardest things to learn. And, and I remember I sat there and I binge watched Orange is the New Black. Oh my God. And <laughs> although I can, I still enjoy the show, um, the, the thing before with, with the song, I can't yeah. remember what the band is called that sings the song, but it's, it's a famous band. And I can't hear the song without feeling sick to my that, stomach. That would be a, a huge trigger. Um, but I can watch the show. Uh, so it's interesting. Which is good. Great the show. Triggers, the triggers are very um, subtle and never what you think they're going to be. Um, but, but anyway, um, a couple things happened that were unfortunate during that procedure. Um, the first is that... Although they were not anticipating any issues with his uh, motor function, um, unfortunately there was a nerve bundle that was severed, and it's it's unclear at this point whether it was inevitable or whether it could have been avoided. And 
my understanding is that it was probably inevitable. Um, anyway, uh, so he uh, woke up from surgery paralyzed on the left side, which uh, we were not expecting, and um, that was quite upsetting. Um, and he couldn't breathe, so he had to be intubated for quite a while longer and then mm. was on um, oxygen I want to say for seven to ten days, um, you know, at one point we tried to leave the ICU, but he, um, his oxygen went down again. Uh, so even just getting him to breathe room air was incredibly difficult. And um, during the procedure, they did insert a feeding tube. Um, and uh, he hasn't, it's been years and he hasn't been able to come off it. It's unclear if he, he was eating orally okay. before. It's unclear if that will happen again. So now he's on feeding tube. So he so now rather than having the nasal tube while he was hospitalized, he eventually started pulling it out multiple times a day. It's very hard to tell a baby or a toddler to not pull out something. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's and like telling a cat not to go somewhere. It's right. just not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. And um and then whenever we would reinsert he would vomit. Um and so he did have an emergency surgery then to uh place a G tube. Okay. And then he had one revision uh and he's been uh, G-tube fed ever since. Um, and so we were in the hospital rehabbing for three months um, from these uh, from this paralysis, which moved, luckily, from being paralysis to weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that happened is I, I was talking about the controls that are taken in the emergency room and um, or in the operating room. Um, and despite the fact that the best controls are always taken, uh, there are mistakes. And so, uh, Gideon did end up with a very serious infection. Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever understand why it took them so long to diagnose it. Um, and my ex and I had made the decision to take my daughter on a trip that we had been planning for over a year. So we were out of town when it began. Okay. Um, and, and it took four days to diagnose. Um, and when we got home, he was uh, functionally comatose. That's, um, oh, it God. had proceeded that far. So things were, you know, okay, okay, okay. And then in the six hours that we were on the plane, um, things went from okay to absolutely critical. And so I walked into a room with 20 doctors and, um, you know, we were starting to talk about, you know, getting him in the magnet as soon as possible and clearing an OR as soon as possible. Um, and so during that process, we were awake. I was, I sent my ex and my daughter home because there was no reason for them to live through this. Um, it was the healthiest thing for everybody. Um, and ended up being up for the next 36 hours or so, um, as we confirmed what was going on and got him into the OR and, during the time they uh, did an MRI and during the time when we were waiting for the operating room to open, he was medically sedated. So he was uh, intubated and um, in a very deep uh, anesthesia state. Okay. I'll try not to munch. (laughs) Yeah, we took a small break to eat some ginger, but we are back now. (laughs) Um, I, I do recall just this period of hours of waiting, you know, to get an anesthesiologist and an OR and everything put together. And, um, he's intubated. His eyes are taped closed. He has, you know, a million wires. And, um, you know, I remember there was like a full team in the room the oh whole my God. time. 
Um, there was a lovely uh, doctor from South Africa. I, I still remember her like standing at the head of the bed the whole time, and we just, you know, sat there and talked for three hours because there was nothing else to do. So um, now he's home with you. So he's he's home now. He has. Um, I'll try to summarize this. <laughs> I feel like I we need to like meet yeah. up like five more times exactly. just to this get like be a series. The series of but, your medical um, adventures. You know, we uh, Gideon has now had seven brain surgeries. Um, okay. The two GI surgeries I mentioned, um, due to the um, the reality of his brain surgeries, he has what's referred to as a functional hemispherectomy. So he still has portions of his right brain in his body, but none of them are doing anything. Okay. And so they're really just there to keep the structure of the brain intact. So if you do an anatomical hemispherectomy, which means actually removing the entire hemisphere, there's a very big risk of something called midline shift, which is when um, the remaining side of your brain scoots over. And this is this creates risk in terms of, you know, where the, um, you know, central spinal, you know, cord meets up with the brain and you don't want any tension in that area. So is Obvious he reasons. functional? Is he able to do things so for himself? This is, and this is why I call him uh, a miracle baby. Uh, in May of this year, which is 2017, um, he had, uh, his second surgery that was focused specifically on epilepsy and, um, that one was also about 14 hours, and um, a couple interesting things about that. The first one is while they were in there, they did some exploratory probing, which sounds kind of like aliens, but what they really did is they um, probed the entire right side of his brain, and that's when they were able to show mathematically that the right side of his brain isn't doing anything. So uh, even the function that's happening on the left side of the body, which theoretically should be controlled by the right side of the brain, is actually being controlled by the left side of the brain. That is the coolest thing. Um, and so the right side of his brain, um, it just formed wrong. No part of it formed correctly. Um, this happens in life. And um, in fact, there are parts of his brain in his head that are still seizing. The key is that they are not connected to anything. So if we're going back to our kind of evil movie metaphor, <laughs> imagine like the bad guy who has a orb and he's looking at the evil thing in the orb, but the evil is contained. And so likewise with Gideon's brain, there are parts of it that are still seizing away, but they can do whatever they want as long as they're not um, connected to anything. And there are very, very rare cases where new pathways develop. Um, in which case that would need to be revised. And the other thing is there is a section kind of in the prefrontal cortex that is still connected mm -hmm. and um, it's not doing anything uh, in terms of his cognitive function, but it is still connected. And um, the EEG, which is the kind of picture of the electrical activity in the brain is not normal in that part of the brain. And so the doctor says that it's likely that we will have one more kind of set of active epilepsy where okay. we do need to disconnect that. Um, but the doctor did not feel that he should disconnect it at this point, that, that it would not be ethical to do that because even though it would have no impact on his function, uh, the bigger the cut, the bigger the risk of infection. 
Um, wow. So what? He's almost five. Yes. Yeah, so Gideon's he's almost, almost five. five. And so he. And the the other thing I wanted to share is, he went into this surgery, um, basically nonverbal. He went into this surgery, spending hours a day, staring off into space, not able to connect with anyone. He also has autism, um, and he uh, he understood uh, music and uh, pitch, and so he would sing all day. La 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 la, or you know la 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 all day every day music wow. no words. Um, the surgery was about fourteen hours, another couple hours to come down from anesthesia, and he uh, quite literally woke up talking. No, wow. Um, and so it had been there all along. Um, just the the epilepsy was so bad that it couldn't come out. That's amazing. And so the first thing that he did when he woke up is sing the entire alphabet, um, including the Now I Know My ABCs, Next Time Won't You Play With Me. Okay, so I'm just going to cry now, and (laughs) I don't do that. Um, It's, you know, again, I don't believe in God, but um, it's the closest thing to a miracle I've ever witnessed. Um, Ever since then, he's been progressing um, extraordinarily quickly. He is talking... um, he can say what music he wants. He can say when he wants to go to bed. He can say his colors. He can count using one-to-one correspondence, which means that he's not just going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He can like count cookies or count wow. marbles. Um, he can count to thirty. Um, he again uh, colors some shapes. Um, you know, we're talking actually approaching neurotypical cognitive milestones when we thought that what we were facing was a severe intellectual disability. And so um, this is this is just um, absolutely extraordinary. And, uh, this brings like a billion questions to my brain. And yeah. I don't have time to yeah. ask and, all of them. You know, we can, we can always meet again, but you know. I hope we do. I like you so it, much. It, um, I hope like we don't even have absolutely. to meet to like talk over life story. But, but yeah, and so one of the things this leads to is like the school district, you know, initially thought that they were dealing with one kind of child. Yeah. And now there's a whole other kind of child. Well, the school district, everyone in your life thought who, they were dealing yeah, with one everybody, kind of child. But, um, but the school district is the most important because they're the ones who are going to make the difference between whether he gets a high school diploma or a certificate of completion. And mm. uh, the high school diploma is the ticket to independent life. And that you have to think about this right now for a five-year-old. Yes. That's yeah. So, so they're basically going to be tracked at kindergarten. And so I'm fighting very hard to help them understand that what we have... Okay, but is there any part of your life that you are not fighting so hard that you you amaze me at how hard you're able to fight and how focused you are on your fights, like for your own health, for your daughter's mental health, and for your daughter's health, for your son's basic survival? I mean, no. you need a cape, my friend. I, <laughs> I do need a cape. I would love a cape. Um, You know, I am happy to say that my divorce is done. Um, My ex and I worked very hard. Oh, and then that. I mean, I went through a divorce that was an easy, quote-unquote, easy divorce, and that takes up so much. Yeah, it took us um, 18 months, and um, we use a co-parenting strategy called nesting, which means that the children live in the house full-time. I've heard of that. And it, in fact, via trust legally, uh, belongs to them, so it is their house. Wow. And um, we take that very seriously, so anything that is done in that house is 
it's we take almost a fiduciary look at it. So it has to be done in their best interest and for their uh, utility. And so I'm going to put a link to nesting um, as a as a way of handling divorce because I think that's, that's such a different way of handling things. And it's, um, I'm a huge fan. It's, it's, it's very beautiful. If it can be done, it can be. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that actually anybody can do it. It's just a matter of making the choice to always go high as <laughs> Michelle Obama would say. And there that's are, a, that's there a are good mantra <laughs> when, you know, where both of us have at critical moments decided to go high and um, because of that, we've created wealth rather than destroying it because um, we now own two homes yeah. in the Bay Area together. And um, we work strategically in terms of setting up the finances in my alimony um, to to make sure that nobody gets screwed on taxes. Because and it's not just that you can't work because you have to be full care of your children. You also are sick. <laughs> I, yeah, I that, also that's have the part challenges. That I'm, I'm also wanting to make sure it's not get lost I in left, the shuffle of this information. I left my, my uh, traditional career 10 years ago um, due to illness, and I am hoping to re-enter the workforce in some way, um, you know, perhaps as a medical assistant um, in a clinic. That's something that I'm targeting right now so that I can use my clinical expertise, um, but in a way where I don't have to take the work home and yeah. where my colleagues will understand what being sick means and that there might be days that I just can't do it. And we'll see though, because with everything going on, that's still at least a year away. Well, that's the huge part of starting Um, this podcast was that I want people to understand that the starting point might be at the same place, but some people ran about three or 15 miles just to get to the start of the race that day. So I want people to understand, like if your coworkers falling asleep at their desk, they might be caretaking, they might be sick. Like what you're talking about can only be possible with other people's empathy. It's true. It's true. And and there are limitations. You know, I could never go back to my old industry. Not only does it now disgust me to some extent, (laughs) um, but I simply can't do it. You know, going through, you know, functionally 10 years of trauma, um, it, it does actually impact cognitive ability. I don't have, although I'm very good at some things, I don't have the cognitive ability and the stamina um, that I used to have in in some areas. And so it would be impossible. You know, I I made six figures before and that's just totally impossible. (laughs) I will be happy if I make $20 an hour in my future. And um, And that is fine and it is what it is. And there is no shame in that. And there are wonderful ways to contribute to society. Um, in jobs that don't pay a lot, but I'll likely never be financially independent again. And that's hard to accept. That's Um, been one of the hardest things talking to a lot of the women I've talked to. And especially like, it's such a focus for me because I was second wave feminism, like the second wave guerrilla feminism of you are not going to ever be supported by someone. And I wasn't, I worked since I was 13, but to be dependent on, on someone now, it's, it's a weird thing to like, let go of that. Yeah, and, and it's really the forever of it. It's really coming to understand. Yeah, that one. <laughs> that, you know, when I first left my job in 2008, um, I saw a pathway. You know, it wasn't supposed to be forever. Um, and, and now it is. And, and because we are divorced, um, or we technically will be divorced on January 1st, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is. I do, I do have empathy for my ex and, and the emotional challenges that also must be present for, for him, understanding mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, that that will always be a legal responsibility 
for him. You know, there's so many different tangents to take this conversation on, but one of the things that I did... I feel like we've had like about 10 more hours of information. I know you have to go for yeah, your own do doctor's appointments. Um, um, but, but yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, um, I'll end with a, with a closing <laughs> thing, which is, which is alimony, um, which is now in the state of California called spousal support. And uh, a lot of people think that uh, the purpose of it is to, for a period of time, keep the lower income wage earner in the lifestyle to which they are accustomed. Um, and that's actually not true. If you actually go and read the statute in the uh, family welfare code, um, I might have you send that to me if I can't find it. It's I'll very it interesting. In um, and, and, and you know, the lifestyle to which they are accustomed is one small sentence in many pages of legal language. And one of the specific things that it says is if one of the parties um, gave up their career to care for an ill child. Mm. Um, the other party is uh, legally responsible to care for that person um, in perpetuity. Wow. Um, okay. And so... Um, Read the law. We, uh, <laughs> we have to make it work. We have to get along yeah. because lives depend on it. And, and that's why nesting makes sense because um, it means that our financial and operational and emotional incentives are all aligned. Um, and, it, and it creates, although it's much harder than a traditional divorce, um, now that we're through the, hard, the hardest part, I know that in the long term, it's going to be a better outcome for all of us. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be ugly, folks. Even, even <laughs> no, under the no, most stressful of circumstances, it doesn't have to be ugly. Um, so always go high, whether <laughs> you're you, talking Michelle to Obama. a doctor or a nurse or uh, the lady at the DMV, um, just always go high. So before you go, I want, and I'm hopefully going to get you back just to talk about just specifically, I would love for you to like do another hour on just life hacks, surviving and what it's like to be a caregiver when you also need one, which I want a whole hour with you on that one. Um, and hopefully I'll be well enough to drive to you next time. Or we can meet halfway. We'll, we'll, we'll do everything we can for that one. Um, but if you can just give us one thing that helps your sanity, like the one thing that you can just, like sometimes for me, it's like just be jeweled can just like stress overwhelmed. I'm going to just destroy jewels. And my son asked me like, what are you doing? That's so stupid. I'm like, look, this is my life. This is what's happening with my life. I have no control. But right here, I see a problem. Look, it's solved. It's yeah. gone. Do you have anything like that? I do. So, helps? Uh, you know, ever since I separated, um, I am militant about enjoying my time without my kids. Not to say that I don't enjoy with the time mm-hmm. with them. They uh, are, you know, the lights of my life. But when I don't have them, I um, do whatever I want. I go out. I um, I do date, though I'm not looking for a serious relationship. Um, I do date. I am learning how to snowboard. I'm uh, saving and I'm hoping to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa um, next year. So I, um, you know, I, I got married very young and I never really got my 20s. And so um, I am... For better or for worse, <laughs> um, at age 39, living in my 20s. And so, you know, just to give a specific, you know, last night at 7 o'clock, my friend said, do you want to go samba dancing? And I said, yep. Awesome. Got in the car. <laughs> we went. We went and got Taco Tuesdays. We went to the bar. Um, and so I, you know, I give myself complete freedom during the evenings that I don't have my children. And that is very restorative time for me. Fantastic. Um, and I, in fact, suggest that even if you are still married <laughs> um, and happily married, consider um, 
you know, one to two nights a week rather than spending time together, spend time on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it'll give you something to talk about with your partner when you get home that night. Yep. So definitely great advice. Yeah. And I'm going to end on my favorite question. All right. Favorite swear word. Sorry. Favorite swear word. Oh God. There's so many to choose from. I know. Um, I mean, fuck is my most commonly used one. I use it as a comma. So yes. <laughs> God. I really don't know. I mean, uh, no worries. It's yeah, just, I think we're gonna go with fuck. It's it's a classic, and it, it covers so many things: um, adjective, adverb, noun. Yeah, or sometimes you know, like douchebag idiots, or you know, yeah, that's you can a good do so many too. like combinations. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really hard to pick one. I do have a swear word coloring book. Yes. Yeah, you know, adult coloring. That that's supposed. I to be have a missed thing now. This, this, but um, yeah, I, I so heard I, of it. I, my first one was the one that said "fucked hard." Awesome. Thank you so much for You're opening welcome. up, and I hope we get to talk more. Please, and we'll do another yeah, interview because awesome. you have so much to say. But awesome. we will be signing off. Thank you.